Well, we're in chapter 26, and we're going to have a transition here, a very important transition in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to explain that a little bit as we go. But let's go before the word in prayer, before the word in prayer. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Pray that he gives us rest and he gives us that mental sharpness at the end of a long day to study and to grow in his word together. Lord, we pray just that, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, refresh us this evening as we grow in your word. We thank you that it never returns void, and we pray that you would continue to direct us for your goodwill and purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 26. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 4, then we'll build our intro and our background. And it shall be, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put in a basket and go to a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. In Numbers chapter 18, it, it talks about offering this um, gift of first fruits to the Lord and that it must be regularly given. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 26, this seems to be separate from that regular offering. This is a singular special offering. And remember the context here in Deuteronomy Moses has received from the Lord instructions to the children of Israel before they cross over into the Jordan, to the promised land. He can't go with them. And so this is his final instructions as they go over. So here they are on this side of the Jordan. You guys, it's getting worse, so cool, you're working on it. And so they're on this side of the Jordan. They're looking to cross over into the promised land without Moses. And they're being told here, when you get over there, not only are you going to get over there, not only are you going to be victorious, not only is everything going to work out exactly the way God said it, but you're going to have a bountiful crop. And when that happens, you're going to give a special offering back to him. As a reminder, Lord, you said all these things would happen. Now, this is going to be in contrast to the next few verses. But here in verses 1 through 4, we're looking at this tremendous blessing. And it is interesting to me at this time in my walk in the Lord because I remember feeling the Lord confirming to me through his word, um, through brothers and sisters, through words of prophecy, through just the Holy Spirit moving in my life and in my family that he called us to this place. He called us to travel here, to sell everything we have, put it all in our 2004 Honda Pilot and drive across the United States to a bunch of people I barely met one time, uh, to a job that I got two months before after I got on a plane, to leave my California sweet union job that I had and sell it all. But at that time, the Lord was confirming and telling me that all these great things were going to happen, that this was going to be tough, that it was going to be a long journey, but that you all would be here and that this is what would happen. It's one thing to be in front of it, though, and be like, well, maybe... Or this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. I'm going to tell you, most of those things did happen. 
being on the side of it now and seeing what the Lord has done, is doing, and is continuing to do is an incredible blessing. And we need to constantly be pouring that back to the Lord. So I can be personally almost annoying that when someone will want to congratulate, oh, you're, what a great teaching. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Go away, get that praise away from me. Go, go, get away. Because I know it's not me. And I want to give that fruits of praise. I want to give that first fruit. I want to give it back to him. Knowing that nothing good comes from me. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so we need to be able to do the same thing. So here, they're being told way before it happens, and it will happen, you're going to have this bountiful crop. Bring it back to God. Remember. Remember that this is 100% from the Lord. Now, I also want to take a moment to talk about Numbers 18 and the habitual giving back to God. And I want to compare it to Deuteronomy 26, the occasional special giving back to God. Because when we're talking about giving things back to God in the age of grace, Deuteronomy, that's the law. They have to give of their material things, even though the Bible always spoke about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It wasn't just about the law. But for us especially, looking in 1 Corinthians, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. We don't have to do anything. We're saved by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. But here we have this spiritual principle of giving back to God. We'll talk about the one nobody wants to talk about first. That's money. We should be habitually giving to God. I believe and teach from the scriptures that tithing is a biblical principle that predates the law. And it should be, um, all of us should partake of it. But the Bible says to be a joyful giver. You know, he doesn't want you to do it out of obligation. But... When we say in the Sunday morning, Lord, we pray that you would bless these tithes and offerings. The tithe is the habitual giving back to God. The offering is the overabundance. That's the extra. I want to give more. I want to give something else. I want to do something on the side special to God. That's just money. I don't want us to focus only on that. This one is far more precious than money. It's time. We should be habitually giving portions of our day and our time to the Lord, whether it's in prayer or reading or whether it's in counseling with someone or exercising the gifts of the Spirit, uh, gifts of encouragement, gifts of teachings and administrations, gifts of helps, all the gifts of the Spirit. We should be giving those back habitually. And then there's our emotions, our thoughts, our life? Are we giving those back to God? You know, he's given us all these things. One way is praise, just praising him. You know, you should be habitually thanking God for every breath you have, that your limbs are operating, or most of them for some of you, (laughs) that you woke up this morning. Whatever problems you have in life, there's many to choose from. We have so much to thank God for every single day. Then there's the Special offerings, the special offering of money. You know, the Lord just, you get, something came in and you just want to give it back to God. Maybe something didn't come in and you just, feel dead, you just feel convicted from God to give what you have. Or a special time. I'm about to go to the pastor's conference. I look forward to it every year. That is for me. You know, a lot of services for y'all, but this is for me and the Lord. 
and I want to dedicate several days just to being fed and fellowshipping and seeking after the Lord. You can do the same, and you don't have to wait for a conference. Take a day off, go to the beach, go pray and read and spend some time with Him. A lot of mental issues can be handled by just spending time with the Lord. And then there's the gift of praise. You know, you see that beautiful sunset. You see the, you're going across Beaufort and you see the broad river and you see it in this green, the tides coming in and you see the, the beauty of God and you just give a special offering of praise, the praise of our lips. That's important to the Lord. We want to give that back to him. And, and then I want to just put my little bit of pessimism on that and remember, no matter how beautiful this planet is, this is the broken version. The, great, the better version's coming. But even in its broken state, it is incredible. And so we're seeing spiritual principles here. We should always be giving back to God. And that ties into what we taught this last week in 1 Corinthians. This is about the Lord. This isn't about us. This isn't about what he can give to us. This isn't about what he owes us. We'll see that in verse 11. But let's read now verses 5 through 10. And we're going to go from blessings to something else. Verses 5 through 10. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian, about to perish. And he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression." So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs and wonders. Verse 9. He has brought us to this place and given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Now it's been a long journey to get to where they're at. And now this is not a Bible study for them. It's not even a history lesson. This is their family. This is their grandparents, their great-grandparents, their generations, where their nation came from. They're being reminded of the trials and afflictions that they have been through. Now, let's talk about the nation of Israel before I go off on a little segue for us. For them, they could look at their family history and they could see places they had failed. They had doubt. They rebelled against God. They rebelled against Moses. They rebelled against the tribes. They didn't want to do things. They wanted to compromise. And God was faithful through all those things. But they're also being reminded, hey, when you receive these blessings, when you receive these first fruits, and you're so close, it's right there. And you're going to have to fight for them. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to win. You need to remember all the trials of all the generations of the people that got you to this place. And so they're being reminded, hey, keep these laws, keep this covenant with God, follow him. Now, this is going to be super important into chapters 27 and chapter 28 when you talk about the blessings and cursings of the nation of Israel for keeping the law. But what's that segue I was talking about? What does that mean to us? I personally believe, that's just my opinion, so you guys know what that means, that many of our youth are falling away from the faith today because they have never been taught how to suffer. 
I believe personally that many of our Christian youth that are growing up in Christian homes, they've been watching Christian movies, they've been going to Bible school, they've been told the, love, the Lord loves you, He's going to bless you, He's going to prosper you. If you put 10 bucks in the tithing, you're going to get 100 back. Everything's going to work out, everything's going to be great, no matter what. And then suffering comes, and life comes, and obstacles comes, and difficulty comes. And they don't know how to deal with it. And they have been taught this religion of churchianity that I refer to. They don't have a personal relationship with God. And they think that, well, God, the God that I've been taught, he doesn't exist. That was all fake, and I want something real. And if you look at the nation of Israel here, what do you see? Generation after generation, they were enslaved. They were inflicted. They were starved. They were oppressed. They were beaten. And then God heard their afflictions and called them out. And what did they do? They rebelled. They turned away. And then, okay, God called them out of Egypt, even though all of the firstborn males of Egypt died after the ten plagues. And God destroyed Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea. And then he pulled them into the desert. Everything's hunky-dory. No problems ever again. Wrong. Serpents and attacks and enemies and people trying to stop them inside and outside. Y'all, that's the Christian life. Look at the apostles. Look at the prophets. Look at everyone in the Bible, especially our Lord Jesus Christ, suffered. Jesus taught us that when they convict you to go one mile, you should go two. What did that mean? That meant when your Roman oppressor comes to you and says, I don't care that you're on the way to the hospital with your pregnant wife, you will carry my bag for one mile or I will kill you. You say, okay, I'll go twice. I'll go two. I'll go extra. When Jesus said, bless those that despitefully use you and curse you, that means that you're going to be despitefully used and cursed in this world. It's difficult. When he said to love your enemies, he didn't mean love the guy that unliked your post on Facebook. He meant love the guy that is cursing you, despising you, and wants you destroyed. Love them with the truth. And he lived it. And so they're to remember their history. Yes, it's a time of blessing and, and harvest, and it's also a time of warfare where men will die trying to win this nation that God has promised them. And finally, Jesus promised us, if you love me, you will suffer persecution. There's going to be opposition, opposition. Now, we in America have to be reminded that, but if you come from Venezuela, you come from China, you come from North Korea, Iran, you come from the Middle East, you come from Afghanistan, you don't need to be reminded of these things. That's the very nature of your Christian walk. Suffering, trials, poverty, ill health. But in America, America, we've had too many harvests and not enough praise to God for every blessing that we have. And that's what we're going to see here in verse 11 when it says, Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Uh, That was the end of verse 10. I'm sorry, I didn't finish. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Now, now, what, why do I say here verse 11 shows us something about suffering when it says, you shall rejoice in every good thing that the Lord your God has given to you? 
because the English word that I want to highlight here is given to you. Many Christians believe what God has owed you. God owes us nothing. But too many Christians are taught to believe, what does God have for me? If he doesn't bless me, if he doesn't um, do things the way I say he should do it, if he's not righteous the way that I think righteousness is, well, then he doesn't exist. Well, Psalm 2, Pastor Mark quoted it the other day. The Lord sits in the heavens and laughs at the plans of man because he sits in the heavens. He's God Almighty. And the Bible says he sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And he will give us blessings when he feels like it. Does that mean he's withholding goodness from us? Absolutely not. No, I'm not insinuating that he's torturing us, that he's hurting us. The Bible says he cannot sin and he cannot tempt anyone to sin. But we live in a fallen world where terrible things happen. And we're not always promised good times. We are always promised salvation in Christ alone through faith alone that can never be taken away. We are promised that all things work together for the good for those that love him. We are promised that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither tribulation, trial, sword, pestilence. There, there are great many promises that we lean on as Christians through trials. And when we are blessed and when things work together and we're healthy and we have, are living in the greatest nation on the face of the planet and there's money in the bank account and we have food and everything's working out, we don't say, oh, that's good. You know, God's doing what he's supposed to do. We say, Lord, I rejoice in every good thing which you have given to me because it can be taken just as quickly. Ask Job. Job was a righteous man. He didn't do anything. But Satan came in and he took everything. When it shows us that nothing can separate us from a relationship with God and it's the only thing that will never perish. It's the only thing that will never perish. And now when we are blessed, we should give it back to God. When you're not materially blessed, you can always rely on your spiritual blessing and give it back to God. Because no matter how bad it gets, if you're still breathing on this planet, you have a blessing to give back to God. You have something to be rejoicing over. Instead of always looking to everything that you think God should have given you and he doesn't, no, you deserve nothing. The Bible tells us if we want to be straight biblical and we want to take the feelings aside, the only thing we're owed is eternal damnation because all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the punishment is death, Romans tells us. That no man seeks after God, no, not one, but, but God. The most important words in the whole Bible, but God. They gave his only begotten son for us. And so rejoice, rejoice. And now this is harder. Rejoice in the promises that God has given you, but you haven't received. That's tougher. Remember, they're on this side of the Jordan, and they're being told these things will happen in the future, and when they happen, you want to give the first fruit offering this this important offering, and you're going to share it, and you're going to bless those that are not as well off as you are, the Levite and the stranger, it says. Well, now in verses 12 through 15, it says, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, 
the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also I have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. According to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Verse 14. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the tithe was required every year, but every third year, every third year, Numbers 18 talks about the tithing that's to the Levites. But every third year it's given to the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and shared with the Levites. And everyone got to eat every third year. From the tithing. The rest of the time it went straight to the temple, but every third year was a special offering. And here it's saying there should be special offerings again. You need to make sure you're doing this. You need to be right before God. This is, impart- this is important. All right, here is a side discussion for all of us. Side discussion. Is it the government's job to feed the poor? Is it the government's job to house the poor? Is it the government's job that everybody should be employed? Now, biblically speaking, I've heard arguments on both sides. But now I want, now that we've got your, your brains primed, is it the church's job to feed the poor? It's not the church's job to feed the poor. No. Is it the church's job to house people? Is it the church's job to make sure you're employed or that you pay your bills? Whose job is it? That's your job. That's your job. You should be giving. You should be taking it. Why are you pawning it off on the government? Why are you pawning it off on the church? You should be doing those things. Now, when it talks about the fatherless and the widow, and it talks about supporting them, he's speaking to the nation of Israel as a whole, but he's talking about supporting those that cannot support themselves. There's no way possible. They can't work. The Bible tells us in Philippians, I believe it's Philippians. Please be a Berean to fact check me. That if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. So if you're capable of working, you need to work. Now, I love what Pastor Romaine says because Pastor Romaine, he was teaching all those hippies back in the day, and they weren't too fond on working. And they would say, oh, yeah, you can't get, I can't get a job. And he said, what are you talking about? He says, you go to 20 businesses. And you go to 20 businesses and you preach Christ. You're either going to get a job or people are going to get saved. And that's what you told them to do. And back then, they probably would do it, too. Fact check. But we're capable of far more than we think. And a lot of times we want to pawn it off. Why aren't they doing it? Why aren't they doing it? No, why aren't you doing it? You can make that a part of your tithe and your offering. But people constantly look at, well, that's the church's job. It is not the church's job. The church's job is found in Acts 2.42. That is the church's job. The preaching of the word, sound doctrine, the breaking of bread and prayers. That is the church's job. Everything else is a bonus. Now, we do those things. We do those things. But it's your job. 
I would argue, personal discussion, it's not the government's job in the United States of America to do that. But you can argue with me later. That's a non-biblical issue. Deuteronomy 26 tells us that in the nation of Israel, in the nation of Israel, they were to have a special tithing gathered and that it was to be distributed. And But what is the context here? It is we have received so much from God. It's from His grace. It's by His mercy, none of our works. We're going to pass it on to other people that can't receive it. They can't earn it. They can't um, get these things on their own. And then ultimately, what is the context here? To go back to God and say, this is set. This is even. This is clear. I've done what you asked me to do. I just wanted to come back to you and thank you. Now, we're going to see in chapter 27 what happens when they don't. Uh, Spoiler alert, they're not going to do it. Because as easy as it is to agree and nod our head, it's easier to keep our money in our wallet. It's easier to keep our comments to ourselves. It's easier not to dedicate that extra time. It's easier to hit snooze than it is to wake up early and pray because we're sinners. We're fallen short, and we praise God that we're saved by grace. That we all nod our heads and say, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. But then when we actually talk about doing it, we see it's just not so easy. It's just not that easy. And that's why the law is a schoolmaster that leads man to Christ. Because the law cannot be kept. We can never approach God and say, even Stephen, I did everything you asked me to do. We always come to him as a beggar. Lord, I know it's right. I know I should have done it. I did it. And then he covers us with his righteousness, with his robes of righteousness that he paid for on the cross. He says, I've separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. And then he looks at that adulterous woman, that sinful man, that sinful woman, and he says, go your way and sin no more. I've made you a new creation. Just start over again. And his mercies are new every day. We do remember that the Bible says in Galatians, that as a man sows, that shall he also reap. God is not mocked. You know, we, we make those mistakes. We've got to pay for them. But in the eyes of God, we can, because of Jesus Christ, come to the Lord with praise and thanksgiving and say, yes, all things are well because of what you have done, not what I have done. And so as beautiful as these words are in Deuteronomy 26, no man can keep the law. By faith we are saved. Uh, Hebrews 11 shows us that the Old Testament patriarchs, they were not paid, they were not, excuse me, blessed and righteous because they kept the law. It was by faith as well in God. Well, now let's read verses 16 to 19. It says, This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God, and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you, that you shall keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise and name and honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. 
Well, in terms of the book of Deuteronomy, the transition is here in verse 16. So from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to chapter 20, uh, 26, verse 16, that is the law being retold. Now, from verse 16 on, he's going to be talking about the blessings and the cursings of keeping the law. So from 27 on, we're going to be seeing what's going to happen when you don't keep the law or when you do keep the law and continual encouragement to keep it, to keep it, to keep it. This is why, this is why, this is why. And so we have closed out over these last few months this section of what the actual law was to be for the nation of Israel as they crossed over to the promised land. That being said, if you didn't understand the book of Deuteronomy in its context and you just read verses 18 and 19, you'd be like, man, the nation of Israel, they're just God's chosen people and he's going to lift them up and magnify them. <clears throat> Remember when I said earlier about our young people falling away from the faith because they weren't, they weren't having a real faith in the real God, you have that religion of churchianity we keep talking about? If you ask a lot of Jewish people or Jewish heritage people today, what they think about God and about being God's chosen people, they will say, many, not all, but many, we don't want to be God's chosen people. Look what happened to us. Look what God did to us. We're, you know, look how he treats his chosen people. Because there's a lot of secular, atheist uh, people with Jewish heritage. But it's because they're not reading these verses in their context. They are the chosen people. God will bring the temple back. He did bring them back into the promised land. Even through all the failings and errors and walking away from God, even through all the times of great blessings and revivals and great things that has happened, God has never left them nor forsaken them. But you would look at things like the Holocaust, like the Russian pogroms, like the Inquisition of Spain. And you would look at those things and say, wow, how does God allow that? Well, Christian, why, why does God allow cancer in a believer, a child to die, someone to be hurt in an accident or a murder? Why, why does God allow any of those things? Number one, he will stop them soon, and he's going to punish the whole world for every sin that was ever committed, for every evil deed. His wrath is going to be poured out on the world. Pastor Mark just talked about the Lord's second coming last Wednesday. He is going to stop all those things. But in Peter, it tells us that it is the goodness of God. It's in his forbearance. He is allowing us to suffer. Why? So that more can be saved. This is the only time in all of human history where someone can accept Jesus Christ and be saved, be born again. When the Lord returns in the tribulation, there will be tribulation saints, yes. But in the millennial kingdom, Jesus is going to rule and reign with an iron rod. Everyone will be a believer no matter what. And then after that, we're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. This is the only time where the destinies of man are being determined. And so he's allowing us to suffer. He's allowing this fallen nature to continue so that we can go out and to preach the gospel to all the world so that others can be saved. It's not about us. It's not about us being materially blessed. Now, when you read these words on verses 18 through 19 by themselves, they don't make any sense unless you read chapter 27. But you're going to have to come back next week for that. Got to leave a little meat on the bone, right? But we need to be reminded that when God says something in the Word, 
Why don't we just do it? I, I've said this before, and I say it to myself often. Imagine if every time you were taught something in the Bible, clearly and concisely, with, with true conviction, you just followed it the rest of your life. We know it's not possible, though. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But where would your life be different? How would your health, your finances be different? How would your relationships be different? How would your relationship with God? How would your mental well-being be? How would you, all those things, if you just did what God said in his word and you just did it. I don't know about you, but things would be a lot better for me. So the encouragement tonight is do the things that are written in this book. Do them. And James were reminded, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer this evening. We're going to pray as a body. We want to allow the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if, if He so pleases. We want to be praying for those that are in authority. We want to be obedient to the Scriptures. I want to pray one at a time, loud enough so that we can all hear, so we can agree with you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the work that you're doing through your Word and through your Spirit. We know that you've called us to pray, to pray without ceasing. And you tell us that our prayer have an impact, that they availeth much in the kingdom. Lord, help us to exercise that gift this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.